2: It's the last week of the NBA season, unless this thing ends up going the distance next Sunday on Father's Day. Uh, The Stanley Cup final almost set. The running of the Belmont Stakes today, as always, some baseball. But we'll start with a much-needed conversation on the state of legalized sports betting and how some bettors deserve better. Another Early Odds with you on a Saturday morning, 670 The Score. I'm Joe Ostrowski, broadcasting live from The Score Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Where is the line? Sports betting regulators need to act now to protect the player. That's the headline, Adam Chernoff's column, Covers.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Adam Chernoff, senior strategist over at that website, Covers.com. 14 years in NFL bookmaking. We talk to him periodically on the show, and anytime there's an opportunity to talk about the sports betting business, how things have changed over the last four years since PASPA was repealed, as we are now into 30 states, as Adam brings up at his piece, I, I jump at the chance to bring on one Adam Chernoff. How are you doing, Adam?
1: Joe, you said that title with such emphasis, and it sounded so demanding. We might take that audio clip and just attach it to the article. So anytime someone opens it, they hear you open the article like you just did.
2: I saw it late last week, and I wanted to make sure it didn't just die. And I know you've been doing a lot of interviews, a lot of people very interested in this uh, piece that you brought up. What pushed you over the edge? Was there a specific event where you said, you know what? I need to sit down and I need to write a piece about this. We complain about it and throw it out into the ether of sports betting Twitter. And then people forget about it five minutes later. And then they complain about something else going on. What made you decide, you know what? I I need to go detail by detail and bring some things to people's attention.
1: It's actually kind of a hilarious, non-serious story. But we got back from a company conference. Um, I was doing a keynote in Croatia. And we had the whole company out in Croatia for a week. And then I was traveling before that. And so I did not catch up with Brandon, who's the editor in chief directly about work stuff for like three weeks. And it was uh, on a Friday afternoon in late May, just a couple of weeks ago, he just mentioned in the last second of a call, he's like, Hey, if you ever want to do any industry related writing or podcasts or anything in the next month or two before football season comes and, you're busy every day. Uh, feel free, like we'd be open to that, and it might be interesting to see what response it would get. And so I dismissed it. And it was like 12 hours later, <laughs> the situation with the football game that I described in the article happened. And by the time it was handled and reversed, and everything broke down on Saturday, and it bled into Sunday, <laughs> I sent out the tweet on Sunday evening. Um, saying that I was going to write an article about the industry. So it's like 48 hours after the call, I sent the tweet and the phone started lighting up with like, wait, like, I know we talked about it Friday, but like, you're actually doing it. And I was like, oh yeah, it's coming out tomorrow. And so after a couple of days of editing it down and uh, sort of lightening up some of the language I used, uh, it became the piece. Although it was kind of an idea that was brewing for a little bit, it was that game uh, two weekends ago that really sort of pushed me over the line.
2: For our listeners that haven't uh, seen exactly what you're talking about, what occurred at Bet Regal, can you give us a short version?
1: Yes. And this is a situation where what I wrote was not intended to be a bashing of Bet Regal or any of the other five sports books I mentioned. I think at this point, we can all just bash and criticize sports books for how they're treating everyday betters. And sort of the intent was more than that. But what really sort of got me going here was um, there were bets made the Friday morning uh, on a football game, a, a CFL game. And Bet Regal is the primary sponsor of the CFL. If you live in Canada, you see their commercials all the time. Their ambassadors represent the league every single night on the major television networks. Betting on the CFL and Bet Regal are synonymous in Canada and they posted the number on the game they had ottawa as a 14 and a half point underdog uh, people bet ottawa plus 14 and a half the key thing here is bet regal responded to those bets friday morning by moving the line from ottawa plus 14 and a half to ottawa plus 11 and a half so it was a three point move they acknowledged the bets moved the line and continued to take bets the rest of the day leading up to kickoff Game plays out. Ottawa wins 23-17. So anyone who bet Ottawa on the point spread won, they were paid out. Anyone who bet Ottawa on the money line won, they were paid out. All of the corresponding team totals, everything in the game was paid out to players. Obviously, if you were on the other side, you lost. Two hours after the game finishes, the money is removed from players' accounts And the bets are switched from a win to a void. Players are notified by email around midnight um, on Friday, Saturday morning. They get the email saying that we made a mistake. That is why you are no longer a winner. Your bets are void. Now, where the story gets a little murky is it carries over into Saturday. People start emailing and it gets to the point where there are people very close to the league in media that end up emailing into the sports book, midday, early afternoon, Saturday, after all those emails go in, everything's looked at, the decision is reversed to pay everyone back from the bets that they originally won. So it got to the point where some pretty influential people were emailing in saying like, hold on a minute, we were betting on Ottawa, you're the league sponsor, like what's going on here? So everyone ends up getting paid at the end of it. And where this really tied into the article is, uh, from my experience working in the industry for a decade and a half now, when you look at the regulations that are written, not just in Canada, but in almost every single state in the U.S., there is very little done to protect the player when it comes to the placing of bets or the voiding of bets. There's a lot of other issues. Everything is very ambiguous in terms of how it's written. All the power goes back to the sports books. And that was really the point of the article I wanted to get across was all of this is happening. It's continuing to get worse. All the sports books are participating in it and using these regulations and the lack of clarity to their advantages in many cases, Like, where do we go and what's the solution where there's something in the middle? Because right now, players are essentially powerless with any of these disputes. And unless you have sort of that bigger voice in your corner, a lot of people just go day to day with being mistreated and they don't have any recourse for it. And so that was really the push of the article to be like, what's the ultimate solution to this? Because it's happening all over.
2: With legalization, I was a little surprised. How many people I know just in my life that jumped into sports betting that never did it before because it was illegal? I just always assumed if you wanted to bet, you were getting down some way, whether it was an offshore website, guy that runs a pool at the bar, whatever. The, part of the argument with legalization was, well, you know, before offshore, so wild, wild west. And if you have a dispute, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Costa Rica you have no recourse, like you just mentioned, and, and everything you're explaining that's happening right now with the majority of the United States with legalized sports betting, it's stories we heard when it was the wild, wild west, and they have partnerships with all these leagues and all these teams, and it doesn't seem like too much has changed, right?
1: Very little, to be quite honest, and in offshore, like you said, there was almost for the really good ones and there were a lot of great offshore operators and there still are they had almost like this onus on themselves to provide the best service possible because of that lack of certainty that a lot of betters had sending their money to faraway places and so reputation really really mattered now in the regulated space and in all of the states there's an element of convenience that all of these places have of being in front of so many eyes that that trust factor that needed to be earned in the offshore days no longer really exists and people just assume that everything is going to be fine which makes it to me all the more concerning that we're still seeing a lot of these practices employed and again it's really it's it was for a little bit three, four years ago, sort of exclusive to pros and people betting a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But now we're, we're seeing just everyday betters for small amounts of money get impacted by these things. And like you said, there's just there's no recourse for it. Nothing got anything better uh, from the standpoint of being regulated in terms of the service customers are getting at these sports books.
2: With these uh, large sports betting companies spending so much money, on licenses state by state, I always wondered how hard is the government going to go after the illegal wagering that goes on? And I would be asked from time to time, is it going to go away? Well, of course it's not going to go away because of credit. It will always be there. And it's part of the culture here, here in Chicago, Illinois. I, I've always wondered, is the government going to go after these illegal markets? Do you, do you see that day coming?
1: I, I honestly, I don't know how that's going to play out because I feel like if there was a time to do it, it probably would have been happening already. There was some crackdown in New Jersey for some sites that had to pull out. And there's there's efforts that are taking place in order to try push those operators out. What's interesting is when you look at just search traffic through Google specifically, a lot of the queries for a lot of offshore brands and offshore sports books in general are actually trending up and they're, they're reaching highs in terms of search volume and queries that we haven't seen in a number of years and so whether that's awareness from other spots whether that's tied into cryptocurrency and where that leads people to ultimately be betting Whatever it may be, there's a lot going on there. But we are still seeing an interest in people looking to bet offshore. That's not me saying that everyone listening to this show should be doing that. You can still find great experiences in the regulated market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it, there's a bigger conversation that needs to be had over how can this be fair for both sides? Because right now it's really skewed towards the sportsbooks.
2: This is Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score. My guest, Adam Chernoff, senior strategist at covers.com. You are on the Circus Sports Guest Hotline. They are a sponsor of the station. They are coming to Illinois. They hope uh, by the time the football season arrives, they are known as a better friendly sports book. Are there any others in the United States that are better friendly?
1: Okay, so this is it's a tricky one, the phrase, because I would say a lot of sports folks do things in sort of varying levels of being better friendly. And I love everything that the guys at Circa are doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have a bad word to say about any of them and the way that they collectively view the industry and where they want things to go is, in my opinion, the absolute best way that you can possibly do it. What I will say, though, is that how they're doing it is incredibly resource heavy internally for how they make their prices. And when you're looking at what they have from offerings versus other sports books in terms of what they're offering, uh, there's a noticeable difference in terms of how many games, how many markets you can ultimately bet on. And so that, again, kind of ties into the business models that all these sports books are running, as well as. Um, what they're able to do when they're trying to support that business model. And on the other side, when we're getting into like other sports folks that do things right, I think the best thing that a lot of these sports folks are doing is having that wide menu of offering that caters to so many different players and gives you so many different ways that you can bet on each of these games. Now that comes again at sort of a cost because in order, if you're offering Hundreds of ways to bet on NFL games, pre-game, in-play. It's incredibly expensive to do that, but it's also really increasing the risk that sportsbooks are taking on. And so, again, we get back to that, like that bigger conversation here is part of the reason that we're seeing so many offerings all over the place right now is because of how unclear some of these regulations are, and then sportsbooks end up protecting themselves against players that ultimately abuse those offerings and being able to move it. And so, yes, there are other sports books that do things right. Do I think you'll get the equal customer service at any other regulated book that you would get at Circa? Absolutely not, but it's almost like talking about two very different products. It's really tough to compare Circa to the rest of the regulated books within Illinois.
2: Yeah, good point, good point. And what you're alluding to, is props that have become so popular in recent years and live wagering, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, in, in terms of the like the abuse side, so right now, so going back to the article again, we're really tying the segment into it quite well. <laughs> um, I was talking about how there needs to be clear limits posted before the bets are submitted, as well as clear language written in regulations around. Bets that are placed and how they can be voided. Right now, there's no regulations that require sportsbooks to post limits openly when someone is betting, nor is there anything that says how sportsbooks need to handle their void procedure. It just defers back to the house rules the sportsbooks post. And in almost every case, the sportsbook has some wording that gives them essentially authority to void anything they wish. So it goes hand in hand. So that exists right now, which allows sportsbooks to offer all of these markets at as cheap of a cost as they can, because there'll be people that are called board cleaners is how they're referred to. And essentially what they do is they sit at a computer all day. They wait for something to happen, markets to go up, news to drop, And then they just hunt through all the sports books and find the ones that haven't moved their odds yet or made a very clear mistake relative to the events that have happened. And so it's essentially picking off these sports books with their bad prices continuously throughout the day. And it becomes quite a nuisance for the sports books. And so that's where you see a lot of the usage around these voids occurring. But then what we're ultimately getting into now is this situation where you go to place a bet in many cases on some of these extended offerings, the props, the in game, like you were saying, and you're met with the loading circle when you try to bet $50 and it spins and it spins and it spins and it spins, and you get the bet put back to you for $6 instead of the $50 you wanted and the odds have already moved. Yeah, And so, It's now a situation where at at one time, what the sportsbooks were doing for these extended props, the in-play markets, and even now for the full game, was using that lack of clarity around how they can handle voids and bet placement to protect themselves. But now it's shifted into another situation where they're using it to acquire all that information, essentially letting bettors tell them where their prices are wrong without actually taking bets from those bettors. And that's where there's now this imbalance where the regulations have skewed towards the sports book and the players are left out to dry on a lot of these extended offerings. But also now we're starting to see it bleed into the full game side, total point spread as well.
2: Some books, they're not hiding their true feelings. They are out there telling you uh, what they want and what kind of action they want. They don't want winners. They want same-game parlay players. How do you react when you see something like that? I mean, same-game parlay, okay. So you want a bunch of losing betters, I guess if books are being honest, they all want that. Aren't same-game parlays uh, usually very small wagers?
1: Right now, we're living in a world where a lot of these sports books are spending anywhere between 30 and 45% of their revenue directly on advertising and customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, they're spending anywhere between $700 and $1,000 to acquire a single customer. It is incredibly expensive. And so you get the people that are running these sports books no longer being bookmakers and they're being essentially marketing companies to try attract as many betters as they can. And then rather than focusing on things like, writing more bets, taking more action, um, offering things that are more player-friendly. The approach these sports books are taking is let's try sift through all of these players that are signing up, find the ones that are losing, reward them, and then anyone who wins or threatens us, we're going to kick them out or reduce their limits to where they can no longer bet more than a couple dollars on anything and they can go deal with it elsewhere. What we're going to end up with is a whole bunch of losing players who are actively betting. We're going to give them as much as we can to keep them betting. And then over time, because we have more money than these other sports books, we're going to wait it out until companies inevitably have to drop their advertising spend from that 30 to 45% because that's not sustainable for any business. They drop it down eventually, if they try to compete, they're going to go out of business or we're going to see mergers and companies are going to come together. And then once we get to that stage where we go from having 25, 30 sports books in every state, all the way down to maybe like five to 10 well known brands, these marketing focused companies will drop their advertising spend. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to increase the hold on the bets that they are offering, which means they're going to have more disadvantageous offerings to the players. And they're really trying to push people into betting different varieties of parlays because they can, especially with the same game parlays, really hide what that hold is. And players are usually not smart enough to realize how bad of a bet that is, nor calculate what the true odds should be. And so now we're starting to see after about a year and a half, two years of the same game parlay craze, some parlay holds that companies are going north of 25%. That's what these companies want. They want to get the betters that are losing to get into those markets. And if that's not enough, we're just seeing a lot of these sports books become acquisition tools to get people to play in the casino.
3: I so just it's w- almost like
1: yeah. this, everything's at the surface now, and it's just a race to the bottom to sort of find as many losers and outlast everyone's spending. It's a weird situation at the moment.
2: Yeah. I hear you uh chronicle that. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're probably right, but do they care about the end game? Do they care about what this looks like in five to 10 years from now? You're only going to go through so many customers that they're only going to want to deposit so many times. It no longer becomes entertaining for anyone, maybe uh, only in football season, But just churning through all these customers, I I just see many of them getting fed up, and they're just going to walk away at some point. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Unfortunately,
1: there's a lot of people that turn 21 every day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also unfortunate that there's a lot of uneducated money in the investment world that sees a newly regulated market, especially one around gambling, and they go, oh, sports betting, new market, let's throw a lot of money at this company for the stake of investments and stocks because people are always going to want to gamble and this is going to be profitable. And what they don't realize from that is that the best sports books in the world are holding 4 to 5% of every dollar that comes in. You compare that to slots, you compare that to table games, it's a much less... Lucrative proposition from an investment standpoint than any casino game. And that's where the value of casinos within a lot of these sports books comes to the top, where if you can acquire sports bettors, get them into casino, that's really valuable from the investment side. And so you have this continuously new player base that emerges every single day with new people wanting to gamble. You have the people that always want to gamble, the winners get left aside any player who's close to being break-even gets pushed aside. The losers thrive, the new players thrive. And then you have these companies that keep getting these injections of cash because people see gambling and they want to be involved with it. And it's just kind of this sort of cycle that benefits the sportsbooks in a really big way that's continuing on and on right now. And it's like, you're right, how long does it last? How sustainable is it? And I would say as long as... The people putting money into it don't know any better, which seems at this time like it's going to be a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just there for the taking for these sports books. Adam, thank you for fighting the good fight and being a voice
2: for uh, sports betters. There, there aren't a lot of people and uh, you have a terrific platform. And thank you for, for your efforts. And uh, don't pay any attention when people try to shout you down and say, well, there's nothing you can do. It's never, ever going to change. Uh, I hold out. I hold out hope that it will someday, but I, I don't think these companies are going to be forced to do anything.
1: We have to just keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very hard to enact change at a top level government side of things from a regulator standpoint. But if nobody's talking about it, then nothing's ever going to change for certain. So we'll keep going with it. And shows like this go a long way in just informing people what's going on. Cause I know a lot of people will listen to this, And they'll go, hey, I had this or that happen to me at this sports book. You have to know that's not normal. That is really what we're talking about here that's happening to players everywhere and not just pros. These are everyday players being impacted by it. And sometimes they fix their, quote, mistakes
2: after people with large followings complain about it on Twitter and it gets retweeted by the right amount of people. It's amazing how that happens. A little bit of pressure. And then they're like, oh, oh, yeah, that was a. Mistake. Adam Chernoff, senior strategist, covers.com at Adam Chernoff on Twitter. Thanks again, Adam. Thanks, Joe. Hope you got something out of that. Unfortunately, there are some bad actors in this industry, and we can do better, and we do need to talk about it. Let's get to some baseball because Sox fans would like to fire their manager. The first team that launched their skipper is playing their best ball of the season. And if you've been paying attention, I've been all over the Phillies. Also, it's Belmont Stakes Day. Weekly contributor Jim Miller drops by to break it all down next. This is Early Odds, Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.
2: Welcome back. You've got Sports Radio 670, The Score, Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski and Weekly Contributor Jim Miller is here from PointsBet Sportsbook and Hawthorne Racecourse. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Hawthorne Jim. We're going to break down the Belmont in just a couple of moments, but I know, Jim, that you've been thinking about an MLB futures angle. We covered a lot of uh, player award stuff over the last couple of weeks, but you're thinking team stuff. What's on your
3: mind? You know what? A couple of teams are on my mind, and it's the teams that have fired managers over the course of the last week. Joe Girardi's gone. Joe madden has gone. Now what happens for the division races for the Angels and the Phillies? You tend to wonder, Joe, if there could be some value there. These are teams that have been in a bit of a slide. There's so much baseball left this season. I tend to think that somebody's got to make a turnaround somewhere. I don't think any of these divisions are over yet.
2: So my name's Joe. Am I getting fired next?
3: No. (laughs) <laughs> We're done with Joes. We've done enough Joes for the season. Are you sure? You're positive, right? I'm, I'm, I'm positive. I, you know what? I was actually a little bit surprised with the Girardi firing, uh-huh. only for the fact that that's a team that you, you never know. I mean, Girardi's people said even in New York, some liked him, some didn't like him. I thought he was a pretty good manager. I, I thought Joe Maddon was a pretty good manager, but you can't have an extended losing streak like that with a very talented team. But well, you know what? The Phillies were just kind of on a roller coaster of a season when they let Girardi go. So you tend to wonder if there was a little more to it, even than they let out in the media.
2: Well, let me just also add that Joey Bart was sent down by the San Francisco Giants the other day. Their catcher of the future, taking over for Buster Posey. So uh, it's not been a great week for Joe's. No, no, no political commentary. Just survive the, the week, Joe. <laughs> just, that's all. It's all I try to do every single week. OK, <laughs> so. You didn't know this, but last weekend I bet on the Phillies. So I obviously agree with you there. I got the Phillies at 50 to 1 to win the World Series. I got them 25 to 1 to win the pennant. I've been talking them up all season long on BetQL Daily. My co host, Joe Gilio, he hosts on WIP in Philadelphia. He laughs at me. I wasn't as shocked as you on Girardi just because it felt like the momentum was there and he was giving me the updates. They can rake, and they've got some scary guys at the top of the rotation. So that's not a team that you want to face in a short series. However, the issue with them, and this was not Girardi's fault, handling of the bullpen seemed to be a big issue with Girardi. The problem with them is they can't pick up the baseball to save their lives. So that's going to hold them back. But I'll tell you, Jim, if, if they're in the mix and they can be, they have enough offense to carry them there, you better believe that's a team that's going to add at the trade deadlines. It's, it's been so long since they've just made a playoff appearance.
3: And here's the thing too. Look who's atop their division. It's the Mets, a team that chronically runs into pitching injuries. It's going to happen. Things are just going to get back to how, how they normally are every season in that division. The Mets are going to face their injuries. Philly's going to get healthy and figure things out. They have to at least be in the mix. Now, I guess the question is going to come, Joe, as we get later in the season. Are they trying to make that run at a wild card? Or are they really, truly able to make that run at a division? But right now, you're looking at a team that's hovering right around 10 games back. But again, there's 100 games to go in the season. There's so much baseball to go in this season, Joe. So much can happen. These runs happen. What happens if they win eight or nine in a row? And they can very easily do that. Then all of a sudden, you're right back in the mix.
2: The majority of the uh, betting market has the Phillies in the NL East at around 15 to 1. But yep. there is an outlier 22 to 1 this week. That's almost the number I got for the pennant. Seems kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You're talking me into this. I mentioned World Series and pennant, But division at 22, I feel like I, I have to with uh, over 100 games.
3: And here's the thing about it too, Joe, we talk time and again, and especially with remote registration here, the ability now to just sign up online for any of these places, do it, shop your prices, look around, find the best value. Sometimes that value is at points, but sometimes the value is somewhere else. The thing about points, but too, you can do the name of that. You can hook it up with someone else and try to get some better odds. And that's the thing where you take this ability to shop your prices. Everything's always flowing day to day, week to week. Look at where the value is, find it, and then capitalize on it because there is there is some value out here on some of these teams.
2: The biggest favorite in any division is the Houston Astros following that Angels losing streak, the firing of Joe
3: Maddon. Is the Angels to win the West completely dead? I don't think it's completely dead by any means. I mean, I'm still looking at odds somewhere around 6 to 8 to 1 for them to win the West despite an extended losing streak and knowing that Houston's still pretty good. But here's the thing, too. We talked about Houston throughout the season. Is Justin Verlander really going to continue pitching that way? I don't think so. We talked about that last week when we were talking about our AL Cy Young talk. I think he's going to just kind of come back and just be a normal pitcher, a 500-type of pitcher the rest of the way. I don't think he's going to be that Cy Young candidate. The Angels have so much ability. I mean, just between Shohei and Mike Trout, Right there, you have two of the best bats in baseball. These are guys that are atop the MVP voting each and every year. Something has to turn for them. Maybe it's the firing that does turn things around. They still have a couple of tough stretches here for games coming up. But then after that, they get a string of games where they can put together some winning series. And you put together a string of, say, four, five, six series wins, all of a sudden you're right back in the mix.
2: You can't find the Angels 9-1 to to win the division. If I had to pick one, I'd pick the Phillies and – that, that's in part because of the better odds. How about you? You, you there? I would agree.
3: I would agree okay. with you on the Phillies on that. And yet, you know what? Like you said, top of the rotation pitching is fantastic. Their offense is fantastic. And the Mets are going to face their injuries, especially in the rotation. It's just inevitable. I'm
2: not sure which team is scary in the American League once you get past the the top couple of the Yankees and the Astros. I think we have a lot of baseball left to figure that out. But there's not a team that jumps out to me. You?
3: No, there's really not. I mean, it, you look at the White Sox right now, they're surprisingly still the uh, favorite to win the Central here. The White Sox are running <laughs> into the same issues that the Phillies ran into, Joe. They can't pick yeah, up the ball.
2: Surprisingly, I mean, yeah. You're, you're, A leading there's, comment there's, from Jim Miller, White Sox fan.
3: There's discussions of Jake Berger playing second base so you can have his bat in the order. So the Sox basically are looking at right now Jake Berger being considered at second, a first baseman playing left, and a first baseman playing right. So you know they're going to continue to not pick up the ball and just try to outslug teams. We're going to see how long that lasts for. But again, they're still the favorite in the division. The Mm -hmm. one thing we talked about with this team at the start of the year, Joe, and I still feel the same way, I thought the under on those totals at the start of the year was the bet, and that's when it got all the way up to 93.5. But at the same time, the Sox still have the ability – to be an 86 or 87 win team and win that division, it's just I'm, I don't see that number being in the 90s when the season's over. You've got early
2: odds Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score, my guest, Jim Miller. He's here every single week, PointsBet Sportsbook, and Hawthorne Race Course. Jim, today, the 154th running of the Belmont Stakes. It's just an eight-horse field. So yep. big picture before we dive into these horses. Uh, what do you think about the Belmont this
3: year? You know what? It's really interesting because this is a year, Joe, where we've mentioned before, no horse is going to run in all three of the Triple Crown races. That's something where usually you see a couple, maybe three, that will take that shot at the Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont. This year, there's going to be none of those. So you're seeing a lot of new shooters coming in this race, a couple of horses coming back three weeks after the Preakness. And then there's the Derby winner, Rich Strike, who decided to just skip the Preakness and say, we're going to take the five weeks going to the Belmont. Still, this horse isn't even the favorite in the morning line, not even the second choice in the morning line, and Mm -hmm. you're talking about the Kentucky Derby winner. So it's an intriguing race, definitely. I'll be curious to see how the betters wager on this race in the end.
2: Why is We the People the two-to-one favorite?
3: Because there's a field of eight, and We the People is the only speed in the race. And here's the thing about it. This is a horse that won over the track at Belmont on May 14th in the Peter Pan, went right to the top that day, and never looked back. One going away by 10 and a quarter lengths. You look up and down this field. Yes, it's a mile and a half. So it's a test of stamina. But we the people just showed that this is a horse where stamina is not really a concern. This horse went 47 to the half in that race and still extended that lead all the way through the lane. This is a horse that is probably going to try to go out there, coast along on the front end and save something left for the stretch. I don't know if anybody's going to go out after this horse. And if nobody does, we the people does have a chance to steal this race.
2: Then we have a Todd Pletcher horse, Mo Donegal, five to two. And you mentioned Rich Strike, seven to two in the morning line.
3: Yeah, Mo Donegal, of course, they're going to love this horse, especially in New York, because this was a horse that was out there winning the Wood Memorial. Mo Donegal is your horse that everybody is kind of saying, this is our New York horse. This is the horse that at Belmont Park we think could be very tough, Mo Donegal, had the inside post for the Derby. And we mentioned that how nobody wins from the inside and this horse didn't, but still ran a good race to finish fifth in the Derby. They're coming back five weeks later again. But here's the thing. When you have the same exact running style, to rich strike and rich strike beat you the last time they faced off to me. That means Rich Strikes probably the better horse. Yeah, Mo Donegal probably will take more action at the windows.
2: All right, the horses in the middle: the Five Creative Minister is six to one. The three horses nest at eight to one. Another Pletcher horse, Jose Ortiz on the saddle, and there's Barber Road ten to one on the outside.
3: Yeah, Creative Minister is a horse that's just continued to improve in each and every start. This was a horse supplemented into the Preakness. It seemed to pay off. The horse finished third in that race and ran a good race. But every single race, the speed figures continue to get better. So this is a horse on the upswing that I think will continue to run well. And I think this is a horse that could finish in the top three in the Belmont. Nest mm-hmm. is interesting because this is the filly that's facing the boys. She was the horse that finished second in the Kentucky Oaks as the favorite, the Secret Oath. She's the one that may have the potential, actually, to push things along on the front end with We the People. And that's going to give Nest her best shot if she can rate close. I just don't know if she's good enough. But again, it is Todd Pletcher in New York, so you have to consider that horse. Barber Road on the outside takes the blinkers off for this race, which is something that interests me a little bit. Because typically you're putting blinkers on and you want a horse to maybe get into the race a little bit more, a little bit more interested early on. They take the blinkers off here, so they're going to want this horse to settle and relax. I think that works against Barber Road a little bit. But out of those three, Creative Minister, probably the best shot out of the trio.
2: Long shots, Golden Glider, and Skippy Longstocking. We're not going to have a Preakness situation here where the long shots are near the top of the odds
3: board, will we? No, I don't think so. I I, I think that kind of uh, regressed to the mean in the Preakness when people were just way over betting horses, especially like Fenwick. Uh, Skippy Longstocking in the Preakness, I thought actually ran okay. Finished fifth in there, ran a career best buyer speed figure. This is a horse that I think they'll probably bet a little bit more than that. I think this horse will get bet down maybe around 15 to one. Decent horse, probably out of the two 20 to one shots, has the better shot to get into the mix. But I don't think we're going to see either of those in the end.
2: Official picks, give us a winner and a horse or two that people need to mix into their exotics.
3: I'm going with the Derby winner. You, you can get the Kentucky Derby winner as the third choice on the board. Rich Strike has done everything right. The Connections did everything right. They pointed to this race. The horse continues to work really well. He's going to have to run against a little bit of the pace of the race, but I think somebody is going to go after We the People. So I am going to look to Rich Strike to go out there and win this race. The interesting thing, like you mentioned, Todd Pletcher has a couple in here. If he sends the Philly Nest after We the People, That's going to help a horse like Mo Donegal. So I think Mo Donegal gets into the mix. I think Creative Minister gets in the mix. So I'm going to bet Rich Strike to win, and then I'll bet an exact box four, five, six using Creative Minister and Mo Donegal.
2: All right, what's happening at Hawthorne today? What do you like? We're racing
3: uh, Fridays and Saturdays at Hawthorne for another couple of weeks here. We're going through the end of June. Two horses I like at Hawthorne. Race six, bet the seven undecoded across the board, a horse that steps off off a nice win. And then race eight, our stakes race on the day, but the two were knee deep in snow. This horse just won at Keeneland and got claimed for eighty thousand out of that last out. So the owner's got to think this horse has some ability, and we'll see what the horse shows us at Hawthorne.
2: That's Jim Miller of PointsBet Sportsbook Hawthorne Race Course and Youth Legendary Head Coach saw so him in action earlier this week. You know, just knocking down the local team by me. It's not. It's not nice, Jim. It was nice of you to
3: come in and kind of cheer us on, even though you're kid. I think he was cheering for the opponent a little bit. I, th-
2: I think he was. Well, here's what it is. Just like when we're watching games on TV, oh, which team's winning? That's my team. Every time. No matter what the sport, which team's winning? that That's my team. Like, come on, come on. We got, we got to go with the underdog from time to time. He'll learn about live betting in due time. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Talk next week.
3: You got it. Thanks,
2: Joe. The Stanley Cup final could be set tonight. Tampa Bay with a chance to close out New York in six. Three, Pete? Really? Let's discuss some pucks. You've got early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. The Score listener line is open 24-7, 365, and powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Welcome back. You've got early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Sports Radio 670 The Score. Hanging out with you every Saturday Here on early odds, 8 to 9 a.m. On the ice, game six, Eastern Conference Finals between the Lightning and the Rangers tonight. Tampa, a heavy minus 170 favorite, plus 165 on the puck line. That means you need to win by two. A lot of time, empty netter, uh, cashes that ticket. Total of five and a half. Never, ever count out the Lightning. They go down 0 2 to start the series. After the extended layoff, waiting on their opponent, boom. Three straight wins. They're up three games to two. Total has not budged all series. Five and a half for every game. Remember you had eight goals in game number one, which was shocking that night in a matchup of Vasilevsky and Igor, two of the uh, best netminders in the game. Uh, since, four consecutive unders. Exactly what we were expecting Uh, Before that game one, I've been sticking with the Tampa Stars to score a goal in the player props field. And it certainly worked out. Going with Kucherov for Stamkos, not a terrible idea, but also not a ton of value. And uh, there's a reason for that. Kucherov has a goal in three of his last four games in this series. Stamkos, two of the last three games. But both just north of plus 150 to score a goal. So that's what I'm talking about. Not a ton of value. The eye-opening part on the Tampa player props, though, and something I do not agree with, is the gap that we see between Kucherov-Stamkos and Palat. Game number five, Palat was plus 270 to score a goal. Those guys still in that plus 150 range. Plus 270. What happened? Palat, the only one of the three to score a goal in game five. Palat has a goal in three straight. He's lit the lamp in five of six. Pilat still 235, plus 235 from plus 270 the other day. Still value as far as I'm concerned with everything that uh, he's accomplished in this series. With Tampa up three games to two, series price wild. Minus 500 for Tampa. Minus 500, that implies that there's an 83% chance that the Lightning win and go to the cup final. And on the cup odds, the Avs minus 200, Lightning plus 200, Rangers, down one game, plus 1,800. Constant update, big gap between the top four and the rest of the field. So here's your top four. Makar is the slight favorite around plus 190, McKinnon plus 200. So if you think the Avs are going to win the cup and you don't want to bet the minus 200, Pick McCarr or McKinnon to win the Con Smythe, both around that uh, plus 200 number. On the Tampa side, you can find both Kucherov and Vasilevsky at plus 550 if you think they're going to threepeat, Then it really drops down. Really drops down to Igor, Stamkos, Hedman, names like that. There are your hockey notes for this week's early odds. Follow me on Twitter. By my name, Joe Ostrowski. That is at Joe Ostrowski. Back on BetQL Daily weekdays, 8 to 11 a.m. on the BetQL Network, which you can find on the Odyssey app if you're looking live, 8 to 11 a.m. Also on 105.9 FM HD2 in podcast form at any time. We're live on Twitch, live on YouTube. We're all over the place. And my score appearances Tuesday through Friday. Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Ha is next. Cash those tickets and keep it locked here on 670 The Score. Okay, picture this.
0: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or